0: Hello there, and welcome to a very
2: special edition of uh, Talking Devils. I'm your host, Dave Murphy. I'm joined this week uh, by two very, very special guests. One one more special than the other. Trust me on that one. Um, first of all, I'm going to introduce uh, Manchester United uh, legendary order, Mr. Wayne Barton. Wayne, how are you doing today?
3: Yeah, I'm not bad, thank you, Dave. How are you? You are all
2: right? Yeah, I'm not too bad, not too bad. Uh, weather's heating up, so, you know... It's getting nice over here. And uh, moving swiftly on um, to our main guest and our main star, Mr. Sammy McElroy, absolute legend of Manchester United. Sammy, we really appreciate you coming on here. How are you doing?
4: I'm okay, thank you. No problem at all. Looking forward to it.
2: Excellent, excellent. Um One of the main reasons we're on here uh, is obviously to uh, talk about your book, The Last Busby Babe, Um, and I'm going to get into that in a little bit. But I would like to start off uh, with getting your um, getting your opinion on uh, what seems to be a nailed-on appointment for Manchester United in Ten Hag uh, coming from Ajax. Um, You know, obviously for reasons that you know with Ajax finishing out the season. we probably won't have a, a an official announcement uh, anytime soon. But, um, Sammy, I'd like to start off with you and get your thoughts on on Ten Hag a, a good fit uh, for Manchester United.
4: Well, to be honest with you, um, I don't really know a lot about Ten Hag. I know what he's doing at Ajax is a fantastic job, and um, I've looked a little bit deeper into where he's been before. Obviously, he's worked with Pep.
2: I think we lost Sammy there for a sec
4: on a couple of occasions. So I think the experience of working with Pep, I think, will stand him in good stead, and he's got a great reputation. I know in Holland and all the top managers around Holland rate him very highly. So it's going to be interesting over the next few days to actually see if this appointment is rubber stamped.
2: Sammy, you, you you manage you manage some clubs yourself. Um, you won some promotions. You know you you were quite successful as a manager. Uh, a lot of rumors about who Ten Hag's number two is going to be. Uh, Van Nistelrooy has been mentioned, but I think that's off the table. I think he's managing PSV now. Um, Robin Van Persie, Jaap Stam, uh, have been mentioned as well. Just how important is it to get the number two right?
4: I think it's so important to get the number two right. And I don't think you've got to pick a number two just because he's been a fantastic footballer at Manchester United. You know, Jaap uh, Stam is absolutely magnificent at Manchester United. I know he's been in the managerial job uh, on, on a few occasions. Knows the club inside out. Van Persie as well is just a thing creeping into the, the manager situation and the coaching situation at the moment. But I think this has got to be very, very
2: important. If Ten
4: Hag gets the job, his backroom staff have got to be bang on with him
2: yeah 100 percent agree with that I think I think one of the the biggest mistakes uh, Moyes made was was getting rid of a lot of the background staff and um, I could understand it you know you're a new man you want to have your own people around you but I think if he was being honest with himself he he would admit that he may have got that wrong um uh, by getting rid of everybody do you see um do you see anyone in the current setup uh, retaining their title retaining their would you like to see people in the uh- current setup
4: I think that's a good question, a very good question. Um, I mean, with Ali, we had three or four people behind the scenes uh, working with Ali. Um, Darren Fletcher, now being classed as a technical director, uh, Mike feelings about the place as well. Um, whether whether one of those two uh, are kept on to sort of just talk to Ten Hag and his staff about um, you know what Manchester United's all about. I think that's very important. I really do, especially coming from a footballer who's been about the place, who's played in the team. He knows what the supporters want, and uh, I think that would be a, a good appointment. And the only ones that I can really think about is 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 maybe the, the two that I've just mentioned. earlier are still about Darren Fletcher's come on the scene now, and uh, he's sitting alongside Ragnick, and uh, you know he could be the favourite to actually stay on. And
2: um, if anyone is going to stay on it, could be darren fletcher yeah i mean Darren fletcher well you know he 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 doesn't have a wealth of knowledge yet in the coaching role he he's talked about very very highly uh, in football circles for his knowledge of football uh, even though so the social media um audience don't really see that um I'm sure you've worked with Darren Fletcher in around the club just just how good of of an influence and is he in behind the scenes?
4: Well, to be honest with you, um, the the roles that I'm playing in the club at the moment is
2: doesn't get really close to the the coaching
4: side. Uh, I'm just like yourself and Wayne. We've heard a lot of a lot about Darren Fletcher, what, what he is doing on the training field, and uh, what he is doing in, in in the background at the club at the moment. Um, you know, so I don't I don't really know what he act is, what he's like on that coaching field. I don't, but he's getting experience at the moment. He's had experience with with Ali as well. Uh, and it's just, I think the next step is, is what exactly, if Ten had just get the job, who exactly does he want? I don't right. think he should come in. I think certainly his own staff, yes, yes, without a doubt, no problem at all. But I don't really think he should have two or three uh, behind him uh, in the current staff that we've got at Old Trafford. I think if he picks one and, and and talks about, as I said before, the club, I think that'll be enough I don't think he needs more than one to to actually help him.
2: Wayne, um, pretty similar question. Ten Hag, uh, a a good signing, a a good way forward. Uh, My honest opinion, he's going to need a a serious amount of time. I think it's, it's about time the club really settled on a manager and said, you know what, next three years, let's write it off. Let's get six transfer windows under our belt. Then we can make the decision whether it's working or not. A, do you think that's the right way forward? And B, do you do you see the club giving them, you know, considering the amount of pressure that's always on Manchester United, you know, arguably still the biggest club in the world? Um, Ten Hag is is he your tip? And and if so, you know, how long is it going to take for this to you know, come together?
3: Yeah, good questions. It's it, it does feel like we're at this stage with every manager, right, that we start this cycle. And we're, we're, you know, we're saying give him three years and everything like that. I think Mourinho he bought all the, he bought Pogba and Ibrahimovic in from the start, and everyone was expecting us to sort of challenge. We finished sixth that season, right, sixth or fifth. So um, it is going to take a long time because even the better players that we've got are coming to an age where you know that the next league title side is not going to be built around them. And the first thing that we're going to be looking for with Ten is our proactive is in acknowledging that. Or do we just, you know, stick with these players knowing... I'm not being disrespectful to any of them, knowing that none of them will be really part of the next title winning side. Well, really, it's hard to see that. I mean, you've got younger players like Rashford who may be, but a lot of players like 28, 29, 30, you know, you're not going to invest in them for a long period of time. So at the end of that three-year cycle, which is how long, incidentally, it took Klopp to get Liverpool into um, a title winning... Situation with Liverpool, um, it's going to take time. Um, and the staff, Sammy mentioned, they're going to be crucial. Um, not only in the fact that, you know, Ragnick brought in a couple, he brought in Chris Almas, you know, so what's going to happen to him? You know, I, I'm completely with Sammy. You're going to need to at least two people around the place who know United. I'm not talking about this DNA thing that people talk about. I'm talking about the fact that you, you actually need people who understand the, the unique pressures of being at a club like Manchester United. Sammy went through the ringer with that under about four or five different managers, and you have to get someone who understands the unique principle of representing United because it's not like representing another club. You Every club's cup final every week. So you're going to need a couple of those staff in there to remind other players about the standards. Um, we have got a couple in there already. Maybe they will be good enough. We don't know. He's um, going to need to be backed. I think a lot of supporters... You know, I'm not like Sammy one hundred percent convinced, but I just think there's no outstanding candidate that jumps out at me there. You know, people saying get best in class, but the best in class, unfortunately, is Jurgen Klopp or Liverpool, and you're not gonna get him. So what do you do then? You hope you hope that the person that you're bringing in is gonna be the best in class, and um yeah, so Ten org, 52, again, Is that? Um, I know we'll talk to Sammy about his management career, and he walks out of management at 55. So is this a young man's game? You know, it's a very, very difficult um, scenario for him. And, um, you know, obviously I'm going to support him and hope that he, he gets the backing. I just hope that when push comes to shove, and we've seen that with Solskjaer and with Mourinho, and people can be divided on what they think about those two managers, I certainly yeah. was that the manager gets the backing instead of the squad because of the crucial interlude where we needed the manager to be backed. He wasn't backed. The squad was backed. And we've seen that that's been a mistake. You need to back the manager. We need to see that with 10-Hog. He needs to get the proper backing. And hopefully he will. Uh, You know, And even that is saying, not sure if he's the right man for the job, but it's still going to back him anyway, obviously.
2: Yeah, I mean it, I mean like like buying like buying a player, a manager is also a risk. I mean, it, but I, I believe it's a risk worth taking. There was really only two managers out there that are available, you know, pretty much Pochettino and and Ten Hag. So for me, either or either, my personal opinion is I think in the short term, Pochettino probably would have got more out of this squad. Um, but we shouldn't be thinking short term. But I think in the long term, if Ten Hag is given the time and the money. He will get this right. So, um, I want to jump on to the main reason why we're here, which is um, which is your new book. Um, an absolutely cracking name for a book, um, the Last Busby Babe. It really is. It, it resonates with a lot of Manchester United supporters. Um, Sammy. Um, you know, you're, you're not short of a game or two for Manchester United. You played 419 games, scoring 71 goals, which is, you know, a, a fantastic return for a midfielder. Um, I mean, everyone and anyone around the club loves you, loves to see you around. Uh, i got a got a couple of questions for you. Um, one, of the, one of the main ones starting off with is that, you know, considering all this talk about midfielders and defensive midfielders that we, that we, we seem to be either getting right or getting wrong, you know, the midfielder, the midfielder you played in was, you know, Koppel, McCarry yourself, Hill, you know, Jerry Daly is the most regular sub. Not a, not a tackler in sight, you know, if, if you can, if you can, uh, forgive me for that, but, um and, you know, people talk about specialists today. We need a defensive midfielder. We need this, we need that. Um, I mean, is that complicating things? I mean, like we just said, you know, you guys didn't, didn't have a tackler in midfield, but yet, you know, you let's be honest, you did okay.
4: But at the end of the day, when, you when you know, tackler and you talk about a holding midfield player, defensive midfield player, a linking midfield player, you just complicate things. At the end of the day, we made things simple. We played a system that was simple. And um, you're dead right about Koppel, Lou McCurry, Jerry Daly, myself, Gordon Hill. We couldn't tackle a fish supper. But at the end of the day, <laughs> what, what our role was, we we fit enough to sort of go and hustle and bustle around the opposition when we didn't have the ball. Tommy Doherty, Tommy Cabana wanted us to get the ball back as quickly as possible. And, and, and we trained uh, from Monday to Friday on that situation where everything we trained with was the ball at a high tempo when the opposition had it. Say we had a game against the reserves. We, we took that into that and tried to get the ball back, hustle and bustle them. And that's the reason why we played and, and it worked the treat because we were a very, very fit side in those days. And especially with the pitches the way they were, we had to be fit. <laughs> but um, you know, Tommy Doherty believed in this system, he believed in his players, and and for well, well nearly three years or whatever, maybe a little bit more, it, it worked tremendously well.
2: You mentioned Tommy Doherty there. Um <clears throat> Do, do you think there's been a greater appreciation for the job he did now than maybe maybe earlier in his life, earlier in his career? Do you think people really appreciate now what, what a great job uh, the Doc did um, now versus you know, maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago or even, even just after his time at Manchester United? Yeah, that's a good
4: question, good point, especially when somebody like a manager comes away from a football club the way the Doc had to leave the club. And um, you look back uh, at his time there, I think, when he got his team right that the team that went down and then the team that came back into the, from the second division, I think was absolutely fantastic. side um, and as I say, for, since the second division to the season after the season, after that, when we won the FA cup, um, that was, a that was a great squad and just needed, maybe, and maybe two at a push three. Um, the strength and a little bit in depth and I think we could have gone from strength to strength. I really do. And I think fans to the day, and I've spoken to Wayne about this at great length, the fans loved that uh, that side. They still talk about that side when I'm doing hospitality at, at at Manchester United. They loved how we played. We we attacked together, we defended together. There was no such a thing with a head going down if we were one nil down or two nil down. We had belief in ourselves to come back to the try to score three. And that's what the duck uh drilled India and Tommy cavana and um, as I say, I think, yeah, I think um, the fans will look back at that. Era. It's, it's in, since the managers we've had, right up until Sir Alex, and then Sir Alex completely took over with the trophies that he won was absolutely sensational. That will probably never be seen again from a manager. But, uh, you know, the Tommy Duck era is still well talked about. And I think Tommy Duck, uh, you know, reputation, and as a manager with the fans will always be, be there for entertaining football.
2: Let's take a let's take a quick look at your career. Sabi, so uh, if you don't mind my Manchester United, you played, as I said, 419 games, 71 goals for a midfielder, which is a fantastic return. Um, but you also played 85 times for Northern Ireland. Um uh, eight, eight. Eight, eight. sorry, I'm sorry, eighty. Being, being from the south, um, as as you know from my from my accent. Um, I believe there was a game back in 82. Um, I only briefly heard about it a thousand times over the years uh, where you beat Spain. Um, it's still looked at now as, as one of the, the greatest upsets. Uh, how, how did that feel, Sammy? I mean, you know, I mean, Spain were a fantastic team at the time. Uh, and you guys went there and beat them 1-0 and, and even went down to 10 men at one point. So, um yeah. Give, give give us a give us a few minutes of of how that felt, you know, going into the game. You know, where you? I mean, you can always we always hear about, you know, uh, the team that's under the less pressure has the biggest advantage. Obviously, um, there was no pressure really on you guys. You know, you had a young normal white Whiteside as well. I believe in the team. Uh, how did that How did that game feel? You know, what was the preparation like? What was it like after the game? I mean, to be to, we'll just
4: start with a quickly go through the group with um, Spain, Honduras. Yugoslavia. Um, We we, obviously fantastic achievement, by the way, to qualify. Absolutely fantastic to qualify. Um, A little place like ourselves, just over a million people, and unbelievable to qualify. And we went, we went to um, believe it or not, Brighton for preparation for the World Cup. and Billy Bingham touched lucky because the weather was unbelievable. We went there, to acclimatised to the hot sun in Brighton. <laughs> uh, and uh, Bingham was touch fortunate and he got it. So we were there for about 10 days or something. And then we went to Valencia to prepare. And um, as I say, our three our three group games, uh, Yugoslavia, Honduras and then Spain. Um, and unbelievably... We were supposed to be coming home the day after we played Spain.
2: Yeah.
4: Um, They didn't fancy us to to qualify for Madrid. So we looked at the itinerary after Spain. We were getting the nine o'clock from uh, Valencia to London. But um, we put a stop to that. We got got a draw against Yugoslavia. Draw against Honduras, which we should have really won. But um, 1-1 went into the final game against Spain, having to win. Now... I just heard you say before that, that Spain were a magnificent side. They weren't like the Spanish that's come over over the last few years. They weren't fantastic, fluent football, one-touch, two-touch. They had some good individuals, don't get me wrong, but they were a pretty dour, hard, um, in-your-face sort of team. They tried to unsettle us, and that was Spain's downfall, believe it or not. Yeah, that was their downfall. They tried to bully, bully us. They tried to Kick is and spit is, and they're picked on the wrong team. Because when you've got the likes of a Chris Nickel, a Jimmy Nickel, Big Pat and Goal, Delegate left back, um, you know, a little McCreary batted in midfield with Martin O'Neill and myself, up front, Jerry and Billy Hummett, and you know, you can't mess these people about. And um, Spain tried to, and uh, we finished up winning the game 1 0, uh, with Jerry scoring that. Unbelievable goal, which he still talks about to to this day, and um, and uh, it was a fantastic, fantastic achievement to to actually qualify for the for the second stage. And I can remember going onto the pitch or looking at the pitch before the game and speaking to Jimmy Hill, the uh, BBC uh, television man at the time, and saying to me, "What do you think?" The atmosphere was unbelievable. The crowd, the crowd was ready for Spain just to come and take us out. And even Jimmy Hilda before him, actually, the way he was talking, we thought, you know, you are the underdog. How do you think you're going to go about this? And all, we used to, all I said to Jimmy was, Jimmy, we'll give it our best shot and see what happens. And then we win the game 1-0. And I've told this story to to Wayne, and, and, and it's in the book. We went back to the hotel that night, as we always do with Northern Ireland, after we had the security and the uh the dope testing and everything we we got the plane back and we got back to where we we were based and um obviously we had our meal with a few drinks and a bit of a sing song or whatever and uh, the night's going on into the night and i'm sitting around this big table with all the lads and i can see these men coming in and putting bottles of beer empty bottles of beer on on our table I, I didn't think much of it, I just thought, well, it's a coincidence, I don't really know what they're doing. Anyway, long into the night, we are having a good time. In the morning time, I get up, go to the reception to get a sports paper, and I see at the back of the paper, there's a big photograph of us round this table with beer bottles, which you've never seen before in your life, on this table. You couldn't see the tablecloth, it was just full of empty beer bottles and everything, glasses, whatever. I picked the paper up. Big Norman standing a few yards away from me, I said, "Here, our big man, have a look at this. This is in the back back page of the paper this morning." He looks at the back of the paper and says, "Bloody hell, Sammy, we drank more than that." <laughs> <laughs> that's what they were trying to do, Spain. They tried to to make to make it that the Spanish national team was beat by a load of drunkards yeah it's unbelievable and uh we had the last laugh you know but uh that's a very very true story that that's actually happened that night after we beat them
2: wow want to want to jump onto the uh jump onto the book um i mean i, I really i really want to start it off with you know obviously the, the, the you are the last busby babe an absolutely fantastic name for for a book um uh, I'm sure you're. Um, I've, I've read a few a few of your articles over the past few weeks, and you know you you actually you know quite to that being you know it's it, it's it's one of your it's it's a special thing for you to be the last Busby Babe. Um, but you know you, you've gone out now, and you you you've written a book with Wayne. Um, I mean, why now? I mean, why 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 did you decide to write a book now?
4: Um, well, I, as you well know, and and Wayne's touched on it every time we talk. I, I did a book in 1980 when I was still involved in the game and um, which really wasn't a great time to sort of do it. Uh, but uh, I did this book in 1980 and I wasn't happy with it. I wasn't happy with it at all. Uh, it wasn't what I call a, a, a true, a true story, a true picture of my career. And uh, there's a lot of years went on since then. Wayne, who's a fantastic journalist and a fantastic bloke, was made me for years to do this book. And I just kept on saying, Wayne, no, not the time. Um, but as I say, he, he, he kept going on about it. And I'd been involved with signing a few books for Wayne and the books he's wrote over the years about United. And he kept on asking me every time, what do you think? And finally, um, I, I spoke to a friend of mine and a friend of Wayne's, Paddy Barkley, he was a fantastic journalist in his time. We talked about this and that, and, and Paddy said, listen, blah, blah, blah. I have a word with Wayne, and uh, which I did. We got together two minutes into his company about writing the book. I decided to say, Wayne, go for it. And we thrashed out right away when our first meeting. I said, Wayne, this has got to be right. And he was superb when he said to me about, I want this book to sound as if it's coming out of your mouth. And I thought that was fantastic because that's the way I wanted it to be. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in it. There's emotional stuff in it. Um, obviously, my highs and lows in football. Uh, but it's got to be said as if it's coming from me. And Wayne's done that unbelievably. And, and he made sure we, we worked on this for eight months, I think, um, in a coffee shop, believe it or not. And he, he was, he was and, and his wife, Stacey, who, who, who drove him down, were unbelievable, patient people. Especially for me to do a book, you've got to be patient, and Wayne was, and um, he's done a he's done a fantastic job.
2: Well, you know what, Sammy, I'm never going to hear the end of this after you've given him that high praise. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he's going to constantly remind me about that. Um, Wayne, uh, I mean, it's kind of same question to you. You know, a w- couple in there. You know, w- why, Sammy? Um, and what you know what unique memories do you do you take away from from because you you know you you've written a lot of books with a lot of players. Um why did you uh, why did you zone in on Sammy McElroy? Um I mean a lot of it's obvious, but I'm just yeah. looking for your feedback. Um and how enjoyable was it to write this book?
3: Well, let's start with the obvious he's a legend, right? So that's that the obvious reason is the obvious reason um and because i was chasing him from basically from when i, I went with brian Green off on his book and and sammy helped out with that i gave an introduction uh an acknowledgement for that so uh, and like sammy says he also helped me with a couple of other books you know the um book on the se- second division season the book on um too good to go down and the film and everything like that so I'd be bugging him every year. I saw him every year. Showed him pictures because I said, he said, it really been every year? We were at BBC to do an interview. I said, You want proof that it's every year? And I pulled up every picture with different haircuts <laughs> getting <laughs> gradually receding. Now it looks like 10 pictures here, probably taken 30 seconds after I'd bugged you to do it. And um but yeah, um, the obvious reason of you know he's a legend, his is incredible. I knew that you know I've done a lot of work on the seventies, but I really, really had this itch. I really wanted to work with Sammy's uh, Sammy because his story just encompasses everything that he needs to encompass for me to feel that yeah, all right, I've covered that era like I wanted to cover in in my work. Um, but as Sammy said there, like to be patient. I've bugged Sammy twice since we worked on this. First of all, I said to him before we finished, I wish that we could do another eight months because I was enjoying it that much. Can we can we prolong it a little bit? Just said that the edit needs a little bit longer. And secondly, I said like, oh, when are we going to do the next book then? So I've already been joking with him about that. I, it's not patience. It's just a proper indulgence. It's not just like, yeah, it was the normal process of doing a book in the way that I'm asking Sammy questions and then I'm transcribing it and, and then we're working on the edit together. All that sort of stuff was normal. But the things that weren't normal was how relaxed it was. I, I'm sure. Well, it was more relaxed for me than maybe not for Sammy because he's going through the process. actually working on his book. He's telling his life story. But we were having... They weren't like, I'm reading 10 questions. It was a conversation that we were having and we were flowing everywhere sometimes we might only tackle one question on maybe like 15 that I had to ask. Do you know what I mean? It was that kind of process working on it. There were times we just had an hour talking about Brian, um, a time when we were meant to talk about the World Cup, but we ended up talking about his mother and father passing away. And we are talking about life and death and everything like that. Um, so there were things in there that were much more rewarding than I anticipated that they would be. The process of it uh, was just great to work on, and I could have carried on working on it for another year for sure. Um, I think Sammy might have been testing his own patience at that point. Um, but, you know, I, it was just brilliant and absolutely I, – I had I high hopes anyway because I'd wanted to do it for that long, and I'm like, oh, I really hope that it's going to be brilliant, and it surpassed everything. Um primarily, not because of Sammy's football career, because I I knew Sammy's football career uh, would be a great story to tell, but primarily because of what an incredible man he is. He's he's just a great person. You know, when you spend time talking, and you're lucky enough to do this, Dave, you know, we both know Gordon Hill quite well, and you're lucky enough to spend hours talking to these people. You think it's so, so fortunate of us to be able to do that, but to know that they're just genuinely good people as well. And that with Sammy has just been the best thing. And, you know, it's it's an incredible story. I hope that I've done it justice because I've been bugging him to do it for so long. And, you know, finally, I think he probably only said yes to stop me bugging him for the next five years about it. But he's done, and uh, I'm really proud of it. I think it's a really good... um, I'm really proud of the story that we told, and I just hope that people um, enjoy it because... And, and tell Sammy as well, and tell Sammy about it because it is such an incredible career that he had. It's one of the most you talked about Spain, you yeah. talked about Ireland, all the caps. Like you no, know, in a way, I know that Sammy's hero was George, but Sammy went to two World Cups. Do you know what I mean? I know that yeah. George did things that Sammy wished he could have done but I'm sure that Sammy did things that George, which he could have done as well. Do you know what I mean? I know that they're two different kinds of players, but I, I think to say it like that puts into context of the incredible things that Sammy did achieve. And not just that as well, he went on to be um, a great manager as well. So um, we're talking about him as a player, but he was a fan. The, obviously he put Macclesfield on the map as a, a football in uh, city. So yep. football in town, I should say. So yeah, the, he did just incredible things and to to work with him sorry it's a really embarrassing the way that've been going on, but work, working with him has just been an incredible privilege and one that um, exceeded every expectation that I had
2: fantastic Wayne fantastic um you both mentioned um, you both mentioned that season in uh, 74 75 um Sammy you played you know every league game in the 74, 75 season. I have followed United since the early eighties. And and I love that era. I absolutely love that era. I don't think we'll ever get back to football from the seventies and eighties, the way it felt as a supporter. Um, but I always read and hear about it. And you also mentioned it as well, Sammy, um, I always read and hear about it from supporters that that season uh, was 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 so great. Even though we we're in the second division, it's really great season on and off the pitch. And United supporters from that era describe it as the best season ever following United. I mean, a pretty bold statement considering we're in the second division. Sammy, you, you mentioned earlier on about that. You know, uh, you highlighted that. What was that season like for the players? Ah,
4: uh, I mean, obviously. And once you think yourself, you're in the second division, this is Manchester United in the second division. One thing from day one back at pre-season, all to talk about was let's get out of this league. We were the team to beat. Not because I'm saying at that time we were going to be the best team, but it's because it's Manchester United. Yeah, We are the ones to shoot down.
2: And that makes it harder as well, you know?
4: Absolutely. And, you know, once we went to Leighton Orient away, the first game of the season, the crowd sold out the orient never had a crowd like it in their life there was thousands left outside that was the start of what, what was to come there was going to be battles there was going to be hard uh, pitches to play on there was going to be teams that were going to be in your face there was going to be teams that the, the likes of sunderland aston villa up there pushing you as well all the way which they did and uh, it was going to be it, for us the pressure was unbelievably strong on us to come out. But the way that team settled into that league, settled into the system, how we wanted to play, how the doc wanted us to play was unbelievable. And from day one, when we beat Orient, the triumph just got on the track and it began to roll. It was unbelievable.
2: There seemed to be, there, there seemed to be a, an absolutely fantastic connection um, between the supporters and the team that year because here we are you know uh, in 2022 and if you go on to twitter you'll see a lot of the older reds they still talk and harp back to that time did did the did the players feel that you know from the stands feeling that okay we got to be as one here like you said we're Manchester United we're in the second division it, it's an us against them and it always has been but was it was it even more so I mean the connection between the players and the supporters was it as strong as 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 I read about these days
4: one hundred percent unbelievable um, we Tommy Gavana especially made sure before the game after the game. Whatever the result, we clapped them supporters and we showed how we felt about them, for the trouble they made, for the noise they made, uh, the beckon, the givers, home and away. We made sure that we showed our appreciation And um, the way we did uh, in that season. Well, all the seasons, to be fair, since I was a player at Manchester United and under, under the dock especially and, and Tommy Gavana we, we, we made the fans be part of it. We made them things special. What's the word? Because yeah. the support we had, the support we had from the North, the South, as you know, from all over the world. And um, it is unbelievable. Gates, receipts, records broken, home and away. It was just an absolute privilege to play in that season and playing that team. And uh, it will never be forgotten. I'll tell you right now, it will never be forgotten, that team. And because a lot has happened uh Obviously, after the dark, with, when Sir Alex came and won everything, but for us, there's still to be talked about, even after Sir Alex's great teams. Just showed you what the supporters thought about it.
2: That, that's actually a fantastic point. There, we we won a treble. We've won thirteen titles in Sir Alex's time. We've, you know, we've won everything, but yet a massive a massive part of that history and that story for Manchester United was when we played in a, in a season that we were relegated. I mean, that must yeah. make you really, really proud that that here we are, you know, 40, 50 years later, and we're talking about a season where we played in the second division, you know, as, as one of the best.
4: Absolutely. And, and don't get me wrong, you know, the, when we get relegated, the, you know, there's the, I've never had a worse feeling in my life and, and mm. only four, five, what was it, five years or whatever since we won the European Cup. I mean, it was crazy. Um, and you think the fans with that game against Man City coming onto the field and the game being stopped, you're thinking, this can't be real. You know, we have dropped out of the first division here, Manchester United, and you're thinking, what's next? But as I said the Wayne and I've said to, to many fans as well, it was. I know we couldn't foresee it at that time because everyone was so devastated. But for me, it was rebirth. Once we started in that second division and the way we were playing it was a rebirth of the the, the great Manchester United team coming back. And uh, as I said, and always will be a privilege to play with those lads in that squad.
2: I mean, you know, people, people try to equate it these days of, uh, you know, because the club is going through a lot of turmoil because, you know, we're going through manager and manager and we're just going, you know, Sammy, you know better than most, you know, football is, is, is up and down, you know, it comes in a cycle. Manchester United will be back again. We just have to be patient. But, um, and some fans have suggested that, you know, well, maybe we need to drop down a division to sort of for this club and these players to realize, you know, what it's like. I, I don't think that's the case. I think, I think the seventies and eighties, they were a very unique time for football and for supporters dropping down a division for Manchester United. Now is, is not going to, it's not going to, as you said, it, it, it was the, it was the starting point to make us great again. I just don't believe dropping down a division now is going to, is going to have the same effect um, that it did back then. So, um, I want to move on to uh, my next question. Um, you're one of the few players to play from both sides of the city, uh, Manchester United and Manchester City. Um, how did that feel? You know, how well received were you by the city fans at the time? You know, from the reaction you get around the club and the feedback from the book, it's obvious United supporters have forgiven you uh, for playing for Manchester City. Uh, what was your time like at City? Shocking. To
4: be honest with you, in in, in a word, shocking. Um, um, I had I had a chance obviously to speak to West Brom Johnny Giles, and uh, there was another late call from Chris Cotlin at Brighton at the time. Uh, but when Billy McNeil got a hold of me to to say to come to speak to him in Manchester, I thought I'm coming back home, Manchester. Okay, it's Manchester City. But at the end of the day, I went to see Billy McNeil. He talked a fantastic sort of game. He talked what he wanted to do with Man City. But I'm sorry to say Big Billy's uh, strength was talking and, and that's as far as it went. But once I uh, played for City, even in pre-season friendlies, going on a boat to Isle of Man, um, I got booed on the boat and um, it just went from worse to worst. Um, I got booed when I played, I got booed when I scored in my debut at Highfield Road Coventry. I got booed in my home game when my name was called out against Leicester City Tuesday at Main Road. So there was a section of the people there that just didn't like me because of the Busby tag, the last Busby Babe, uh, and that, that that's exactly how it went, and uh, it was a shame really, but that, that's the way it was, and um, I played in the derby game at Main Road, we got beat 3-0, but the Manchester United supporter gave me a fantastic reception, and I don't think that went down well with the city record. <laughs> so um nah, uh, it was one of those chances it took and it, it backfired on me. But having said that, the great Dennis Law did it, Brand Kidd did it, there's a few other Reds that's done it.
2: Yeah, Peter Schmeichel.
4: Well, Peter Schmeichel, yeah, but my tag, my tag didn't sort of stick with him. Uh oh, excuse me, lads, can I go to the door? There's somebody just knocked on the door. Can I go for a second?
2: No worries. Yeah,
3: yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> I want to tell a story then while Sammy's gone. Um, And hopefully by the time he comes back, it's not going to be something that he jumps in the middle of. One story he didn't tell was um, in the second division season, which is great and it's in the book. Um, Sammy had gone to United to talk about his his parents, his mum and dad. They were living in Belfast in the Troubles. And, um, you know, obviously a lot of trouble going on. And the vigilantes were knocking on the houses and they were getting Sammy's well, they were trying to get Sammy's dad up to um to go out and fight, but um Sammy's dad was struggling with health concerns. So Sammy was desperate to get the, them over to Manchester and Tommy Doc helped with that. And um so they actually got um an house for for, for they actually got an house near Old Trafford, you know, one of the no. I think it's down the road no. from the blaze. So they got they got the um they got Sammy's parents announced. And this was just before the second division season, just before it would have been around the time of his car crash in the um, season before, uh, 1973. So just after uh, Tommy had taken over. So it was a little while (laughs) after the car crash. I think Sammy would sort of like trying to settle things in his life and get his parents over. One thing he didn't talk about, because I asked him about the crowd trouble because obviously it's notorious. 21 games for United in second division, 21 basically cup games, if you can imagine like that those fans going to ground well, maybe 15 grounds that they never go to normally, Late in Orient, Notts County, those kind of York City, those kind of grounds. Cardiff, for example, I was a really bad Millwall. All these grounds where they wouldn't normally go to, where they were loving it and everything. Sammy, after taking his dad away from Belfast, then let his dad go on the away games. So, so like his dad went to all the away games for United that season, and that was you were getting running really commentary, weren't you, Sammy? Really, basically from what all the trouble that was happening there. So he took his dad from from Belfast to the Red Army, and um, just incredible stories that he was telling. But yeah, imagine that. Like that's how much they loved United, how much support Sammy was of United. His, his dad was going to the away games as well.
2: And did um and, and following on from that, Sammy. I mean, now nowadays when when ex players or, or people that are, are, are you know in that uh, that are associated with Manchester United are, are well known when they when they appear in the crowd, did, did did the United supporters know he was your dad? Did they, you know, or did they? I mean, no, uh, any other any other stories you can reveal today?
4: There was a few actually lads uh, from Stratford that uh, where my dad used to drink uh, in in Moss Road, uh, the the Stratford Legion. They used to have a big United base in there and um, sometimes they would see my dad, um, you know, coming to the players' entrance and getting the tickets where they'd be, have to be queuing up to get into the ground. They weren't too happy about that because, obviously, <laughs> I was getting them the special treatment, getting them into the ground and sitting in the stand where they <laughs> had a goal. So they used to give them some stick about that. But, uh, yeah, it was all a good banter. They all knew. They all, um, and if we won, especially on a Saturday and we travelled travel back, they made sure my dad had plenty of drink in him on the Saturday night.
2: So he so he was a happy man. He was
4: very happy, especially coming over at the time when he came over in that second division season. He was another one who was so proud, um, how the team was doing and uh, the football we were playing. And uh, he, he really, no matter where it was, driving to Cardiff, Millwall or wherever where it was, um, he enjoyed it.
2: After your, after your spell at City, um, you ended up in Sweden, and I'm probably going to butcher this name. Greta I think it is.
4: or Ogreta, uh, yeah. And even I'm not saying it right, as the Swedes would say it, but it's Ogreta. Believe it or not, um, in 1986 in the World Cup in Mexico, Inge, Ingevar Fast, who was the president of the Stenelain boat that used to come into Belfast and yep. uh, whatever, he was he was the main man of that and he was actually on holiday in mexico watching northern ireland play brazil um and when i got back home i got this phone call off this mr vast and uh he, he said could i'm flying into manchester very very wealthy man uh could have meet him at manchester airport and just have a chat well got there just one the swedish um League, so they were going to play in the European Cup the season after, and um, he he, he would he, he wanted to know what had come for three months uh, in, in that time because of the way their season,
3: yeah,
4: stars because of the winter, uh, they have. Uh, um, I went to meet him in Manchester, such a fantastic man. Uh, I said, as far as I'm concerned, let's do it. Uh, it'd be a great break for me to get away from Manchester City where things wasn't that great. And I went there and had a great time in Sweden. I played um, in the European Cup against Dynamo Berlin, Berlin over two legs. Unfortunately, we 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 lost over the two legs. But it was it was a great experience for me. But it was tinged with sadness as well because my poor father at the time was be was a was a very unwell man, you know, and things things weren't uh, too good on the health side of things at that time. Just beginning to to get really worse.
2: So, um, Sammy, I'd, I'd I'd like to kind of finish off and ask you ask you a few like you know quick fire questions um, if if uh, if you have the time at this point. So, um, best player you played against? Uh, I've, I've been I've been fortunate enough to play
4: uh, for Northern Ireland, Manchester United against some unbelievable players. You know, some great Italian players uh, for Manchester United and the. In, in, in the Europe competitions. I've been lucky enough to play uh Northern Ireland in, in World Cups, European Championships. I've played against some really, really great players, but there's one player that always stands out uh, is Johan Cruyff, an absolute gem of a player. Um Ajax Holland. And um, he was he was best George Best has been my favourite player by a male, but Cruyff Goyff is in that street. He's in that street where he could do things that uh, certain things that best he that best he could do. But uh he to play against him was an absolute honor.
2: The next one's gonna be probably a very difficult one. So forgive me for asking. Um and that is the best player you, you played with. I think I know the answer.
4: Well, best best by a mail. Yeah, I was lucky enough to play in some friendlies when I was 16 William, and and made my debut with him, played for Northern Ireland with him. But my, my tinge of regret is I just wish it had been more times, you know, the, the troubles that he was going through and whatever. But I've had some great memories uh, in certain games against them. Obviously, my debut uh, and, and a game for Northern Ireland against the great Holland side, where um, Danny Blansford was a manager and we played Holland and Feyenoord, European Championship game best he was absolutely just brought the the clock back that night he was superb Niskins was trying to kick him Rudy crawl was trying to kick him he was not negging the both of them he, he just had a fantastic game and we finished up two two um, which was a great result for for us at the time but uh that was that was a great night
2: best manager you played under? again tough tough
4: questions for internationally. Bingham um bingham had a great spell his second spell in charge from 1980 1986 was fantastic for northern ireland yeah uh, and under under sir matt for a, a very very short time as a young boy uh obviously the doc the doc i've had great memories with at manchester united dave Saxon, a great manager um but uh, the duck the duck had the edge over 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 those and um it was great to play under the dock
2: fantastic um this this is a more you know trickier one um and i wanna i wanna <clears throat> obviously uh, for me um it, it's an easy choice but if if you were if you were to pick it you know your ideal uh, uh teammate um messi ronaldo peli maradona george best what order is that in?
4: and when you say order i mean best is always going to be at the top for me george best is always going to be at the top no matter what order no matter what uh people are talking about as a footballer as a person as whatever uh best best was one of the reasons why i wanted to play football and one of the reasons why i came to manchester united you know i mean i've been lucky enough to to, to be involved with some fantastic players yeah. uh, at, at manchester united you know uh, I'll go back with Jimmy Nicholl, David McCreary from Belfast. We're, 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 we're great pals of mine. Big Norman Whiteside, the present day. Um, I know they're all they're all Belfast people, but I've got, I've got on great with them. Um, very good friends with uh, with, with Stuart Pearson uh, over the years. And, and when I played with him, I got a great uh, rapport with him. You know, there, there's there's some fantastic people. Ashley Grange is a pal of mine to, to this day. And, I've had, uh, as I say, I've, of all the squads I've been in at, Man- at Manchester United, we've all got on great. Brian Greenough, Brian Greenough, was my first pal I've ever met when I come over from Belfast, and he looked after me unbelievably. Uh, he actually tried to take me to Barnsley when I was only f- fifteen years of age, and tried to make me drink Barnsley bitter, which I couldn't But that that was Brian, and uh, yeah, I, and, and his brother. The, some some fantastic characters I've met over the years. To be fair,
2: when when you were uh, you came over to Manchester United obviously at a very very young age. Um, you know, reading the George Best book and and reading that what we know about George as well. He had a very tough time when he when he moved across. You know, a completely different time uh, for for any player or any person moving out of the home. Uh, what was that like for you when you when you came to Manchester first?
4: That's just shocking. I was so homesick. It was frightening. Um, I left in '69 and I've talked to Wayne about this at great length, when the troubles in Belfast were really, really, really bad. And my mum and dad were under tremendous strain. And my dad was getting knocked up in early hours in the morning to be a vigilante, which there's no way my dad would have done, which was going to cause trouble. And um, my mother was in a bit of a state about this. And uh, I finally, Wayne touched on it before that, I, I finally went to the club. In the in the seventies to get them over, um, they bought the house for me behind the Stratford Inn in Colley Street, and uh, I paid them back out of my wages. And the, the club did a fantastic job for me to get my my parents out of that trouble there.
2: Wayne, um, I'm going to finish up with you. Um, I know we touched on it earlier on about about the book, but you know, and, uh, any for anyone that hasn't read it yet, any any little snippets, any diamonds in there that that kind of made you chuckle or you know, major you back to and 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 wanting, you know, that era again that, that Sammy played in. And uh, because I know we a lot of us, a lot of that older generation, we harp back to those days. I mean the football, the way football is nowadays, we all know it's very different. And it's different for many different reasons. Back then football was football. It was a football club. And uh, nowadays it, you know, and we understand why. It's a it's a business now. You know, it really is. Um any any diamonds and are up there any, anything to uh you know with our appetite to uh, where with, with the last busby babe?
3: There are loads of little human stories in there. So, me and Sammy, well, one thing we tried to sort of settle on from the start was obviously there's going to be a lot of football in there because he, like, you've already given the figures of how many times he played, and we haven't even touched on his managerial career and all, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, he's going to be heavily dominant with football. But what I tried to say, say from day one is. We want to make it a human story so we're going to tell the story you're a man who happened football is your career but we'll tell all the other stories as well so we've got i mean you mentioned there are there any any funny stories in there and I, I was trying to think and i'm thinking oh god they're actually least half a dozen is when he moved to manchester and like a cat and mouse game with his landlady because he didn't like the food um and he was going to come, he was too shy to complain about it, but the landlady ended up complaining about him, <laughs> which I found was hilarious. Um, what's the other one? Um, going to Australia with Brian, um, and Brian getting um held up by a gunman in a fish and chip shop. Um, yeah, um, what are the other ones? Tommy Duck getting drunk
2: playing. Wait, wait, on- wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. I want to go back, Sammy. You got held up in a fish and chip shop in Australia, no, Brian, Brian. Did oh, Brian he did. did. Yeah,
4: we were, we were in a hotel and um, um, Brian was feeling a bit peckish, you know, we had the, I think we're just after a game or whatever and we came back to the hotel and um, there was a fish and chip shop not too far away from the hotel and Brand decided he, he, he fancied some fish and chips, so I said, well, I'm, I, I was in bed at the time and Brian said, I'll just run down, do you want anything? I said, well, if you're getting something, I'll just pick from yours, <laughs> anyway, after a matter of minutes he came back and he was white as a ghost. He was absolutely white as a ghost. He was visibly shaking. And I said, Greeno, what's up with you? He said, You're not gonna believe this. I started ordering my fish and chips and the Australian behind me put a gun in my back and said, Are you are you English? and all this here and brand just looked at him, seen the gun and shot out of the chip shop <laughs> and, and ran back from the, to the hotel. Absolutely unbelievable true story. he, he was this Aussie was absolutely out of his head. Brown said he was drunk. He said, he, "You know, the finger could have went and something could
3: yeah.
4: He just ran out, just completely ran home. Unbelievable.
3: There, there are a couple more like that. as Well, there's, um, there's. I, I'm not going to spoil them all and not make um, Sammy recount them all, but there's a really great line with Gary Bertles trying to solve Gary Bertles' um, goal scoring problem. Oh, I don't know, maybe there is enough time for this one, there's one that absolutely had me howling, which was the story before the 82 World Cup and in the preparation for that, um, what Billy Bingham did when he, he got you all in the hotel lobby uh, with the boxers.
4: Oh, um, he, with the suntan cream and the after sun. Yeah. Billy, Billy, had a, Billy had a chemist in Southport and we got a phone call uh in our rooms would everyone come down to the foyer please Uh, i'd like to have a a meeting with you so we were thinking it was going to be a football meeting and then we all came down and the foyer was absolutely packed with brown boxes so bully was standing over these brown boxes and he, he said right listen lads he said it's going to be very very hot where we're going and what i've done is i've got you some Sun tan cream and some after sun. If you'd like to come up one by one, I'll give you the uh, the stuff. So he opened the boxes, started handing out the the sun tan cream. But he was charging us. He says, <laughs> "There's there's some sun tan cream and some after sun. That'll be eight pound, whatever." And, and I'm thinking, I can't believe this. And then Big Pat, being Big Pat, came up, said, "Billy, I I won't be in the sun a lot. I I uh, I hate the sun." I'll just take a couple of bottles of uh, aftersun. That'll do me, sorry, Pat. I can do you no favors. that will still cost you eight pounds to do aftersun. And he sold us all the stuff. He sold us all the uh, the suntan cream in the, uh, in the after sun. and the and the aftersun. And unbelievable from the chemist back in Southport.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, there are literally loads like that. There's even. Conclusion to that story on the journey back, which is great, and I'll leave that for the book. But that's it's a really good punchline to the to the story. But loads of stuff like that. it has got the human aspects of of the game as well, not just the serious, um, you know, the serious stuff that's on the pitch. So yeah, and it's just yeah, I was in tears many times as Sammy was telling me these stories, and um, I hope that they're told well in the in the, in the book because Sammy told them me very well.
2: Well, I mean, I think I think you know it just it just uh, solidifies really and and uh, makes my point even more stronger that that the football from back then, the generation of football back then, um, I don't think we're ever going to see the likes of it again. And, and what I talk about is on the field and off the field, the way the players and the supporters became one in a lot of these tough seasons. Um, I just think now it's just, you know, it's a different type of football. It's a different business. And, you know, we all wanted this. We all wanted more football. We all want to see more football on TV. And this is what happens, you know, with the, there is a disconnect. Sami, um, from, from looking at the social media, uh, following online, um, everyone, you know, uh, Everyone loves you. Everyone's excited for the book. Um, I think people are very appreciative that you you, you did the book, uh, so we can you know we can go back to that time and relive it again. And um, so you know, from a, from a Manchester United supporter, I really appreciate you where uh, you and Wayne working together to get this book out because I know it's very very well received. Um, and I just like to finish off by saying you know thanks for coming on the show today, uh, Wayne. Um, I know your book is is available in uh, all good bookshops, as they say. But where else? Can, where else can we get it online for the for for the people? that just want to you know go online and click.
3: Yeah, there are links. You can get it. There are a couple of links on, online where you can get free worldwide delivery, in, and I'll post them on Twitter. But okay. Amazon, obviously, is a great place to for, for people to get the book as well and, and pitch publishing. Who, who did the book, did a great job with it. So we should thank um, the staff there as well because um, they did a great job. But most of all, thanks for Sammy for putting up with me for most of last year and obviously most of last week as well when <laughs> driving him mad around Belfast.
2: So, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah.
4: Absolute privilege. I really enjoyed today. Fantastic. Great questions. All
2: right. Thank you. Uh, thanks everyone for for um for listening in if you're if you're listening back you know give us give us a like give us a follow give us a subscribe and um, we always appreciate feedback whether it's 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 good or bad and um, but we're here for we're here to bring you you know people like sammy and to 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 take trips down memory lane so you know get some suggestions in for for anyone else you want to you know we'll try and get on the show but you know sammy it's been an absolute privilege and an honor for me like i said i i I grew up in, in in the 80s where that's when I started watching football. I remember the 82 World Cup I more than remember the 86 World Cup I was 12 at the time and um, even though we were you know even though I was from from the south of Ireland, um, we still had that, you know, connection with, with Northern Ireland in the World Cups and and it was an absolutely fantastic time to be a football supporter um, and, you know, we're, we're, I'm grateful that you come on today and I'm grateful for what you've given to Manchester United. My only regret was I, I didn't get to see the 74-75 team um, and, and the travel and the, you know, I think a lot of supporters nowadays harp back to those days to the simpler times of football, even though, you know, off the pitch it, it, it wasn't really, the, it was always on the front page and not the back page but still a great great time to follow manchester united a great time to, to be involved in football itself so again sammy thank you very much and wayne as always i appreciate you uh i appreciate you coming on um it's always good and, and it's always a bit of fun so again anyone that's watching appreciate anyone that, that sent us in questions uh, we really appreciate it but um yeah join us uh, uh watch watch out for more links on our, our talk of the devils on our twitter feed as well for for some more podcasts coming up during the week